Welcome to Life Beat. I'm your host, Anna Visser, and today I am joined with Chris Gass. Hi. <laughs> the very uninfectious Chris Gass. <laughs> yes, unfortunately, I am not in the office today because I got COVID over Christmas. So I know Chris was going to joke about it, but I beat you to it. I, I have many jokes lined up, but maybe we should talk about more serious things. <laughs> I agree. So first, we're going to start off with talking about the lawyer who was who did the Roe versus Wade case and won it in 1973. She recently, I think a couple days ago, passed away. Yeah, Sarah Weddington. I um, I actually heard her talk. She came when I was at college at Western Michigan and uh, gave a speech and I actually sat in and listened. And she was uh, kind of the ringleader of the legal team that quite to her surprise gave us abortion on demand through all nine months of pregnancy through, uh, through Roe versus Wade. And she passed away. I think she was, um, she was 76, uh, obviously in the media, uh, you know, pro-abortion people were celebrating her. Uh, some pro-life people said nothing. Other pro-life people were mentioning, you know, the, her legacy of the death of more than 61 million human beings. Um, we didn't really, we didn't really say anything about her, did we? No. And I actually don't know a ton about her. And I feel like maybe a lot of other people don't know a ton about her either. Um, do you know anything? Like when uh, she gave this speech, no. <laughs> when she gave the speech that you heard, what was it about? Uh, Roe versus Wade, of course. That was like the only thing that she had going in her life. So that was like her defining moment i mean she peaked, was and then that was it at that moment basically sorry, what that was her peaking moment and then that was it <laughs> yeah uh so she would have been what 45 um she you know was in her tw late 20s uh, and she was just a lawyer from texas and i i don't want to say she was uh she was a nobody but um I mean, she, she wasn't a big name, you know, she's the, her, she's the daughter of a Methodist pastor. Um, she just found herself arguing on behalf of, uh, you know, legalizing some abortions in Texas. Um, I think that's, you know, a kind of interesting historical parallel, you know, Roe versus Wade came about because of all this action in the state of Texas, and now it's the action in the state of Texas that's kind of driving the abortion issue. Um, I mean, she had a legal team. They were they went shopping for people to sue Texas's law. They found uh, Jane Roe, Norma McCorvey. Um, you know, Norma said that uh, you know Weddington and the other lawyers just took advantage of her and didn't really you know, didn't really include her or care about her in the process. 
uh, in Norma's auto. They just needed a lady that was pregnant and right. Could yeah, be that, the yeah. That's what they yeah. They just they didn't care who. They just needed it, and that's what she got. She argued the case. She thought that I mean she had a decent chance of winning, and that they could uh, you know start to hack away at Texas's abortion law. And then to her surprise and surprise of everybody, those seven justices just said, oh, we're just going to make it abortion free for all. No laws, no restrictions, no nothing. Everywhere in all 50 states. And that- I Yeah, I thought she was a little surprised. I mean, yeah, her her speech was not like profound. Like all I remember is, you know, just sitting there feeling pretty sad about everything. I was in, you know, Students for Life at the time, and you know, I was respect. I was respectful. I don't remember if I asked a question or not, but um, but yeah, I don't know. We did, yeah, we didn't mention anything. It's 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 really hard to decide what to do. Like, do you acknowledge her? Do you not acknowledge her? Um, I don't know. She never had any sort of conversion or moment where she rethought her actions. Nope. Uh, that was her thing. And that was her thing right up until the end, as far as I know. Um, I mean, I'm sure she went on and did some other things, but I mean, that was it. That was her, her life's work was the deaths of 61 million unborn children. And she was, you know, proud enough to be invited, you know, 40 years later to universities and talk about how great that was. And a lot of people celebrated her, you know, Planned Parenthood is over there and sackcloth and ashes mourning her and yeah. I've seen some people say some pretty uncharitable things about her, which I guess, you know, from a personal standpoint, I don't, you know, I don't think that's, that's good. Um, but yeah, like you mentioned, there's a lot of people who are pivotal in the early pro-abortion movement or at times have become pro-life, you know, um, yeah. no bigger example than um, Bernard Nathanson, who himself, I think, I forget if it's 30 or 40,000. I mean, right, he, he took so many lives as an abortionist, you know, it, uh, thousands become a rounding error. That's crazy. Um, and, and he would share, you know, uh, a part of this Roe versus Wade, you know, it wasn't just Sarah Weddington, but yeah. Well, I, I know. I, I don't know what to say about it. I'm like, good riddance. Um, I don't. I don't know. I don't know what to. Ouch. Well, I'll say this: it, <laughs> it, you're kind of getting at like getting at it. It's so sad. Like, she was in her early 20s, and she was uh, just a tool for the Supreme Court to legalize abortion on demand, and that was her life's work, her enduring accomplishment the civilization is wiping out a gigantic portion of it. Yeah. And as we'll get into a story in a second, you know, a, a negative experience, you know, not just for the unborn children, but for millions of other women who, you know, Planned Parenthood would say that, oh, she was serving their rights, but, you know, so much misery 
And so, and that's why abortion is just so weird. You know, it's not like, you know, Joseph Stalin orders the death of 60 million people and everyone's like, that's bad and it's dramatic, but you know, one person influences some judges and all this stuff is done in secret and no one talks about it a lot, but it's the same body count. You know, how do you, how do you address that? It's kind of a bummer that she didn't live to see it all undone, (laughs) all of her life's work undone. Uh, That would have been, uh, that would have been some poetic justice. Mm -hmm. Uh, It would have. So I'll say there's a lot of pro-life people who've been involved since the beginning who are no doubt hanging on, hopefully, and they get to hear the big news, um, you know, sometime next year. Yeah. Well, should we talk about abortion stories? Yes. I was trying to think of what was our next topic. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, so Nate Silver is a pollster and um who i thought was totally wrong about the 2012 election between mitt romney and barack obama but was totally accurate and mitt romney lost (laughs) and his war on women was unfortunately not successful um as i'm sure you agree um which we'll get into at the end um (laughs) so he runs a polling outfit called 538 they do a lot of sports stuff but they do some political polling and so it's kind of strange that you know, over Christmas, 538 is a, you know, it's a website, a media outlet, whatever you want to call it, was uh, publicly soliciting people for their abortion stories. Yeah, and it was kind of weird how they asked. It was like, it was like when someone's like, oh, drop your recipes below and we can share them with everyone. Like, it was just a weird way of putting it on there like it was so casual yeah I think it's I mean Nate Silver strikes me I mean he's generally more on the on the Democrat side of things um he tends to you know he's been getting himself in trouble lately for talking about polling and Biden and um I feel like polling is not a thing anymore is that just me (laughs) Is that just what I, have I been looking at the wrong things? Well, I saw a poll and 55% of people thought that polling is still a thing. So you're wrong. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the margin of error in that poll was 3.5%. So. I just keep seeing things of, it's not accurate. We need to stop using it. Which is yeah, he, true. he lost it. So the, the 2020, 2016 election you know, 2018, you know, horrible polling results, 2020, I forget, I think it was after 2020. um, And someone was saying your polls were just all terribly wrong. And I mean, he just lost it and got really angry. I mean, I wouldn't say that Nate Silver is a really hardcore ideologue, but, but yeah. So they asked for a bunch of abortion stories and um, they got a bunch of abortion stories, but Maybe not the ones that they were uh, looking for. Were most of them pretty, pretty like, I regret my abortion and. Well, obviously, you know, they, they got a lot of those. I mean, if you do something like that and the pro-life movement notices, and this is what a lot of people don't understand is there's a lot of people in the pro-life movement who are people who have had 
mm-hmm. abortions and regret them. You know, it's been an, a couple of years since I've heard there's this old like folk tale that some abortionist said once that like, oh, the pro-life protester outside my clinic came to get an abortion there one day. Um, and, and as again, we'll get into this at the end uh, as we get into our things pro-abort say segment, but <laughs> there's this kind of impression that all oh, pro-life people will end up getting abortions anyway. Um, but I mean, there's a lot of people who had abortions, thought it was the right thing at that time, and then came to regret it. And like Bernard Nathanson, and now um, uh, who, I mean, he was a man who didn't have an abortion, he aborted his own child. Um, they come to regret it. And then uh, now they're, you know, pro-life leaders. You know, I'm thinking, you know, the president of Americans United for Life, which is a pro-life legal group. Uh, she's post abortive. So yeah, there there are a lot. When I was in Detroit for our um our grants tour, mm-hmm. a lot of the women who were doing pregnancy resource centers down there, I guess I should say over there, um they a lot of them were post abortive as well. Interesting. You know, I've never really talked with a lot of pregnancy center staff about that, but I mean it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if you've done if you if you've done that and you, and you're feeling bad about it and you think what can I do to you know so other people can avoid this what can I do to make you know recompense then you know pro life movement pregnancy centers are the way to go. Yeah, I don't I don't know if it was necessarily like they were trying to make themselves feel better. I think it was more like they figured out that these women that they could connect to these women and they had more, um, I guess they trusted them more, right? Like as opposed to someone who doesn't know what they're going through. And Mm -hmm. so that's kind of what the angle that they were taking was, um, women trust me more because I can relate to what they're going through and they can see that I regret mine a lot. So, yeah. Well, speaking of media outlets, um, another little news story that came across our desk. Uh, so, you know, uh, why do journalists cover abortion the way they, they do tend to be ideological, but in some cases they're getting paid to do it. The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation uh, announced that they're going to be paying journalists um, in uh over in europe to talk about how great abortion is in an effort to encourage uh overseas countries in asia africa south america to promote abortion are you still a journalist which is really sad in the u.s they would not have to pay journalists (laughs) (laughs) one of the journalists they're paying Filipovich, uh, or Filipovic, I'm not sure how you say it. I've only read it, but I mean, Jill pretty much writes pro abortion stuff all the time. So it's like, why? <laughs> you don't even need to pay her. She'll be happy to do that. But right. I mean, are you still, so journalists get paid to write stories, but do you cease becoming a journalist if you get paid to promote stories in a political way? I don't know. What do you mean? Well, I mean, like, if, I, if I'm writing for the Detroit News, the Detroit Free Press, and I 
you know, I write a story about an abortion story, you know, it is what it is. And I get paid to write that story. But when Bill Gates is saying, here, I'm going to give you a bunch of money to promote abortion. I mean, can you still really call those people journalists? I would say no. I mean, well, I can't, I can't ever remember Jill Filipovich breaking news. I remember her commenting on a lot of news. More like commentators, I guess. I mean, there definitely are um, reporters in the U.S. that basically only report on abortion issue things, you know. Oh, yeah. You know, before your time with us, there was a CBS reporter. I think her name was Kate Smith. And she was like on their abortion beat. And like (laughs) all she did was promote abortion. You know, like blatantly promoting it. Like I I think it was CBS. Uh, And it's like how as a news organization do you justify this? Like hire me CBS. I'll write about pro-life stuff. If you pay me. Right. I'll do it anyway, but <laughs> I guess it just goes to show how corrupt the U S is because maybe in these other countries in Europe, they aren't so willing to write stories about abortion. So they have to be bribed to do so. But in the U S you don't have to bribe anyone or we've been bribing people for a long time. And now this is just a new normal and we didn't know what was going on. Yeah. Now, now wouldn't it be fair to say that isn't this imperialism, you know, America spending all this money to promote, you know, to almost coerce other countries to change their laws to allow abortion and other population control measures, which is Bill Gates, huge obsession. Mm-hmm. Imperialism. Isn't that bad? Yeah. I hear all the time about how bad imperialism is. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You can't. Uh, Bill Gates. Him. Bill Gates. He's going to do whatever he wants to do to get his money. I know. I just wish we had more Elon Musks who, like, obviously can look at, you know, demographics and say, like, Houston, we've got a big problem here. And that problem is not you know, more people on planet Earth. Or in Elon Musk's case, Mars, eventually. Yes. We need yeah. more people, actually. Yeah, how, how can we conquer Mars if we don't... <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that's... Who, this whole mindset, this is a great segue for our, our final segment, you know, this whole mindset that people are bad things, you know? Is it self-hate? Is it just selfishness? Like I got mine and, and you don't need to get yours because it might I might not get my stuff or place in life if there's more people know. out I there. Was, I was thinking about this um, from a younger person perspective. Um, and I... <laughs> you're, you're like a re- you're like resident young person at Right to Life of Michigan. <laughs> Well, I, I, from a person that, I don't know, it's the younger generation. I was thinking about this. I don't know Mm -hmm. how it was for the older generation, but I vividly remember in school, it was stressed to us so often that the world is overpopulated, that China is going to sink us, that there are people like squeezed into Japan, like just the that the world was like crumbling because there was too many people on 
too many people taking up our resources and we were going to run out of water by some year or whatever. I just remember we talked about that so often in science class. And so maybe for the younger generation, that's just kind of a thought in the back of their head of like, oh, I don't care that our population growth is decreasing. That's a good thing, right? I mean, I think I think that's been drilled into older people's heads too. I've, I've told the story on the podcast, you know, a couple of times, I think, but just being at an open house a couple of years ago and some old lady, you know, talking to someone who had just uh, returned from a trip to China and talking about how great the uh, one child policy is because there's just too many Chinese people, like just not thinking about that situation at all. Um, or like how they're enforcing this one child policy. I Yeah, well, they, yeah, they never hear that part, you know, no. China does such a great job at... Uh, um, people not hearing that sort of mm-hmm. news. Well, should we get to our final segment in honor of Emily, who is enjoying uh, Christmas vacation? Yes, we okay. should. Get on to our what pro boards say, mainly yes. on Twitter. Yeah, we, we should get a sponsor for this, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying um, to come up with a better catchy name, but I think this one's pretty good. If, if, you, if you've got a better catchy name, you know, email us, info at rtl.org, and we will consider it. So um, this lady whose Twitter handle is The Feminist Next Door um, tweeted on December 26th. Um, she doesn't have a blue check mark, so, you know, we tend to pick on the blue check marks, but <laughs> um, a lot of, you know, people picked up on this one. Uh, got 6,000 likes, so a couple thousand many thousand people saw it. And she said, I think if anti-choice women were honest, they'd admit that a lot of what they feel about abortion boils down to, quote, I or my mother or my grandmother didn't want these kids and we sacrificed anyway. And I can't stand the idea that we could have chosen differently, but we were told not to. Um, So she thinks that Anna, you, and all the other women in the pro-life movement, uh, that uh, a lot of what you feel about abortion boils down to the fact that uh, you resent the fact that, uh, you know, although you haven't had a child, you know, that um, all these women just resent their children and that they had to uh, be forced to, you know, raise children. And uh, so that's why they support uh, banning abortion because they want to force other women to share in the misery of you know, having a, a daughter themselves. They think we want some solidarity, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, solidarity. You know, we, you must suffer too. <laughs> I don't, I mean, there's just a lot wrong. I, well, for, I mean, yeah, like, first of all, uh, it boils down to, you know, stop killing babies. I mean, that's kind of what the whole pro-life view really boils down to. But some of these people just, I mean, they really think that having a child is like torture. The worst thing that could possibly ever happen to them. I mean, like, it's insane. Like, so, I mean, 
So I have four kids. I have a dog at home. Like right now it's the dog that's crapping all over plate, place, <laughs> causing more trouble than the baby. I mean, I thought you got that. Taking all the dogs. Of. Cause Oh man. I, I mean, it's, it's insane. Is the I dog. Mean, okay. What <laughs> is, is your dog? Okay. Yes. The hemorrhagic gastroenteritis, uh, is, is over, but the uh, other issues remain, but Oh, wow. I mean, that, that's life. Like any, like owning a house, you have to fix it. Having a job, you have to expend effort, a car. You have to like, there's nothing in life that comes without you having to pour something into it to get something out of it. But this whole idea, you know, that having children is some sort of torture and that the only reason pro-lifers, you know, want to end abortion is that we can force everyone else to be subjected to this torture like us. I mean, there's something, there is something to the quote where your parents say, I hope you have a kid just like you. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's something to that in a comedic way, but I mean, I just don't understand where she's getting that people resent their children and, and don't actually want, like they were forced to raise them. It's, I mean, it's a foreign, like if everyone had that mindset, I mean, humanity would die out Mm -hmm. in one generation. I mean, I just don't, I just don't see many people. (laughs) I don't see anyone saying that or hating the fact that their mom, most women, you know, they love being a mom. They, they meet their baby and they fall in love and I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you don't see that happening very often. Babies are entertaining. Babies are entertaining. I mean, yeah, the blowouts are no fun, but I mean, I mean, don't think you're special. You might be old someday, and you might be <laughs> wearing adult diapers, and someone's cleaning exactly. up your. I mean, like that. That's life. Like, I don't know. I, I think that they, they just the idea that killing babies is so hard for them to grasp that they have to come up with some sort of like they have to you know fabricate some sort they confabulate some explanation so that there's you know let themselves off the hook like oh nobody really believes these are human beings it's impossible they could do that so they must have some well yeah they're in denial the ulterior motive they are in denial yeah. Maybe are you sure, Anna, that you are not in denial, that you're not just hating yourself as a woman? I, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. You know, I've, all the ladies on this podcast, I've asked that none of them have fessed up that they just hate themselves and they're <laughs> wanting to torture their fellow, fellow, uh, fellow women. Hmm. No, I can't. I can't say that that's me. No, maybe, maybe just none of you want to fess it up to me, you know? <laughs> I know what I mean. How do you respond to that, other than like dismissing? It sounds like a bitter person. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I would love to read through all of their replies to that tweet. There's a lot of people agreeing to it. Like, ah, oh, they just want to control women, and yeah, and you called it, and like, ah, oh, my, and like my grandmother said this bad thing, and so I don't know. You know. 
here's a different take, maybe a more charitable take. You know, maybe many of these people come from just such terrible family backgrounds, because let's face it, not everyone uh, comes from a great family background that they just like think that that is the common experience. I don't know, maybe their parents said something to like, I regret having you. And then they just internalize that into yeah, the maybe it's not, Maybe it's like a personal thing for this woman. I don't know. We'll never know. I never will. Um, what was that? I say, I think we're about out of time. Yes. I just wanted to mention one quick thing. We are three days away from our go all out year end match ending. It ends, it goes through December 31st. So we have a goal of a hundred thousand. We're 80% of the way there. And it would be great if we could reach our hundred thousand. So um, we have it right on our website. I think it's like the URL is rtl.org slash donate. Yep. If you would like to help us out, that would be great. All Anything right. Anything else, Chris? I don't. Have a happy new year. Yeah, happy new year. Thank you for joining us. 